Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's the Nightcap. She loves the Stanley Cup Hockey man is what I am Let's go Listen, listen to what I say Play that game the Canadian way Hockey man is what I am Let's go It's the Nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550 Yep It is Hour number two It's the Nightcap Joe DiBiase here on WGR Sabres Coach Search Brought to you by Straight up wines and liquors. Go straight up wash. Go straight up Elmwood to Washington Kenmore for saving selection and service. And we got some news. Dave Tippett interviewed Gronberg, Martin in the mix, and Sheldon Keefe. Some stuff on him as well as well as Ristolainen. Uh, all in Elliot Freeman's thirty-one thoughts. I- I'm glad we got something on it. I'm war- I'm warm, lukewarm towards the Dave Tippett idea. I mean, if you don't know a lot about his resume, it's it's good. It's not great. It's good, especially for being with the Coyotes, which, like, how good could you possibly do, right? I guess you could do good or do better than he did, but he did a pretty good job. Um, I'm, I would like it. He's 57. Eh, he's not young by any means as a coach. Um, his last couple years there. 70 points, 78 points, 56 points. Those were bad rosters, though. 56 points is that tankier. Somehow the Sabres had less. Thank you, Tim Murray. 89 points the year before that. 51 in a 48-game season. So that's over a point a game. Then a pretty good stretch before that. 97, 99, 107. That was the conference finals year for the Coyotes. Um, Yeah. Like, okay. I don't hate it. 74 games coaching the playoffs. He coached the Stars for a number of years. I'd be interested. It's still not that different thing, though. Like, this was an opportunity to do different. And that would be Gronberg, and to a lesser extent, that would be Sheldon Keefe. Now, you'd have to work to get Sheldon Keefe. You might not be able to do it anyway, because the Leafs might just go ahead and keep him for themselves and hire him as their coach and fire Babcock. That's what Friedman's got. As something that could happen. Um, but, yeah, okay. Like, here's something, but it's not different. And that, that's what I want. Do you? This is the perfect opportunity to hire Ricard Gronberg. No team has ever really been set up for a better situation to hire him. 
It's been 20 years since a European coach. There's one guy on the retread market that's like a conceivable hire in Tippett now, who's just kind of come to the forefront. And you've got a bunch of Swedish players that are super important to the organization. Look at their most valuable piece is Rasmus Dahlin right now. Like if if you ever play NHL, the video game, and you're on franchise mode, or be a GM, and you go make you go to the make trade page, it lists all your players and picks, and there's a bar there with how much value each guy is worth. So like back in the day, Jack Eichel would have been near the top of the bar. Rasmus Dahlin's bar and trade value is full. Like, maybe only Connor McDavid is more valuable than him in the league right now, given what he did in his rookie year and his hype coming into into his draft year. So, that's a Swedish player who Gronberg's coached. And I got Olafson, who's probably their best prospect, not in the NHL right now. And maybe he could turn Nylander into something. Like, I don't know. It just sounds like such a good idea. And it's different, and it's fresh, and it's new. And the Sabres are never different, fresh, and new. Ever. Ever. And this is a glorious chance to do it. And if they cower behind experience, then I'm going to have at least some sort of issue with it. And I'm sure a lot of fans will too. Tip it though, like I said, like I wouldn't hate it. You could do worse. Jacques Martin would be doing worse. Um, Sheldon Keefe, still out there. I love that idea. 38 years old, young, bright. Ooh, give that a shot. Try that on for size. All right, speaking of Gronberg, if you're not too familiar uh, with him and his background as a coach, here's a little in-depth uh, look from someone who knows him. Tommy Bustad from the Swedish Hockey Federation was on with Howard and Jeremy. Brayton, with his uh, his Swedish contacts, was able to get him on the air. And uh, here's that playback for you. Sabres coach watch. Let's do a little bit of that, too. Now, one of the names that's come up is Ricard Gronberg, who is coaching in Sweden. We spare no expense here on our Wester hotline. We're taking it out of the Brayton's paycheck, but we're calling Sweden. And we're joined right now by Mr. Tommy Bustet. Tommy is the General Secretary of the Swedish Ice Hockey Federation, and he's joining us right now. Tommy, it's Howard and Jeremy. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It sounds like a great show. Well, you know, we, we do uh, tend to talk about some different things other than sports every now and then, Tommy. Uh, so yep. listen, we, we, I, wanted, I know uh, we want to find out more about Ricard Gronberg, and I wanted to ask you, from your standpoint with the Federation, now he's coached at a number of different levels with Swedish national teams, right? Different age levels. So obviously you guys have been very happy with his work over the years. What has stood out? What have you liked the most about your relationship with Ricard Gronberg over the years with the Federation? First of all, he's a, he's a winner. He's been, uh, been coaching on, on different levels and, and uh, almost won everything he's been into. And he's, he's a very good educator. Uh, he, he's good at developing uh, players. And all the National League players that we have on our men's national team always tells me that they love to play for him because he... He talks to the players, he discusses with the players, and he, he tries to develop them, even though they, they are big stars in the, in the National League. So 
he's a good developer uh, as well. He's a winner and a, and a good teacher. That's what I, one of the things I was curious about. You know, so obviously he's working with younger players, but he is also working with guys who are in the National Hockey League that are coming back, you know, maybe playing in the World Champions, what have you. How does he do, you know, you mentioned he's good at developing young players. How does he do with older guys, guys that have also been in the NHL? But he, he's, he's also good at developing older players. Like we have on our men's national team right now, they're practicing here. Right? I'm in the Globe Arena in Stockholm right now. We have Kenneth Lundqvist playing here for the Rangers. He's not a young guy, and he's here because he likes to win, and he, he, he wants to become better. And we, we've had uh, uh, old, old players in the current team, like, like uh, Victor Hedman down in, in the Tampa Bay, and... and uh, uh, many other older players, they, they also say that, that they learn stuff from the kid when they are on, on a match. Even though they are such good players on, on, a, on a high level. So I think he's good at developing even old players, not only young players. Is there, Tommy, is there a coaching style or philosophy that you would say Ricard has? Or is there, is it a, is there a philosophy the Federation has and Ricard coaches that way? Both, I think. Um, Ricard is a well-educated person from from uh, North American universities. Uh, he's been uh, he has a master in in in, uh, in I think political science or something like that, and he's he's a well-educated person. And we want to have our staff well ed- well educated because we think uh, hockey is, is such a complicated uh, sport. It's not just like uh, as a coach, screaming at the players and and and, uh, and intimidate them to to, to be better. You you have to 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 uh, be like a teacher, and, and he has that background from his academic uh, studies. But he he all he's also uh, a guy that that stands the pressure because being a coach is is very much. Uh, uh, standing the pressure and not not break down when 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 the, the, the games get tough. So he's. Uh, He's good at 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 at, at uh, being in a situation with, with lots of stress, and, and uh, uh, we, we think that's important because when you play in a world championship, you, you play two weeks, and you almost have to win every game. And, and if you don't can stand the pressure, you, you we lose these important games. So he's he's good when he when he has to be, be good. If you understand what I mean, you you know he's he's got North American exposure or experience. You know, right? So he would have coached in the U.S. college ranks, at, and he played, I guess, at St. Cloud State, and he was in the Canadian Hockey League for a little while as well. How much do you think that helped develop him as a coach? How much do you think that matters that he had been working over here and exposed to uh, the North American game, so to speak? I think that that's one of the best things to record here. He had learned the very good things that you have in North America, and he also learned the good things we have in Europe. So. It's a good mixture. It's like if you look back back at the National League before European players started to play over there back in the 60s, uh, it was everybody looked the same. But I, I think the National League has developed a lot since European players have had uh, come into to the game with Russians, Czechs, Finns, Swedes, and, and so on. And I think that that's the next step. Uh, for, for NHL to develop, to, to bring in European coaches. Yeah. And still, you almost haven't had any European coaches at all in, in the National League. So I, I think you need that. And, and I think Ricardi is the right guy in Europe right now to, to take that step. 
There yeah. are many other good coaches in Europe, but I think Ricard is, is ranked as number one in Europe as well. You took me to my next question. I, I think there's only maybe been a couple guys that went from Europe and became head coaches in the NHL, and I think it was early 2000s. Why? Why, why do you think there's so many more European players that are in the NHL now? Why do you believe we haven't seen any European coaches becoming head coaches in the NHL? I think the the, the the like the border has to be breaked or or, or, or what do you say that that's an expression in Swedish I try to translate directly to English but but like there were some plays that that break that barrier back in the sixties and seventies like seventies especially with boys Alming and, and others and and when that that barrier was breaked then it was like a flood coming. And I think someone has to break this barrier. And, and when the barriers break, there are going to be lots of European coaches in, in North American hockey, I think. But as, as long as coaches, general managers, uh, only look in, in, into home waters for, for, for coaches, nothing will be done. It has to have to be someone brave looking outside country and, 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 and maybe take a little chance. And if, if you should win something in the end, you always have to take chances. Well, do you think, in terms of you know breaking that barrier and, and getting somebody here, do you think there is still, is there a different coaching philosophy for hockey in Europe than there is in North America? Or is coaching hockey, coaching hockey, no matter where you're at? Yes, I think it's limited. And I think it's... it's uh, if you look at, at um, management philosophy in North America compared to, to maybe to Sweden, I think we, we treat people a little bit different in Sweden than you do in U.S., for instance. Uh, uh, we have a little bit more of, of uh, uh, talking and, and discussing uh, the style and not only uh, telling people what to do. We, 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 we ask them what they can do for us and, and we try to make them better, even in, in, in management. So I, I think that that's kind of style in, in, in Sweden and maybe in Europe that, that is be different from, from North American style. And I think that's the same in coaching, in hockey, coaching hockey. I'm curious. I don't know how much NHL you get a chance to see. Did you have any chances to watch Rasmus Dahlin play this past season? Yeah, I, he, I, his father works for, for us, for the Federation. Oh, okay. And, uh, We've, we've have had him in a, in a program since, since he was like 14 or, or something like that. So I've seen uh, many of his games. And we have, have uh, the National League is on Swedish TV. We have like, like 10 games every day. So we have, we have them all. So I've seen him play a lot. And he's, he's uh, offensively, he's uh, fantastic. And, and I think he can still develop a little bit in defense uh, play. And, and he, he can also grow a little bit uh, if you look at his body and put on so, some, some weight and, and, and so on. But uh, so far, he, he's, uh, he's playing, been playing better, I think, than I, than I and, and many Swedes have expected. That's what I was curious about. I was wondering, you know, where was his game this, season, this past season here in Buffalo, uh, Tommy, as opposed to the guy you saw in Sweden? Because you could see... Just in one year here, right? His vision, his ability, his his aggressiveness on offense, his passing, a number of attributes. How how close do you think he was this past season to the guy you think he can be? Fifty percent. I think he can develop fifty percent more. He's uh, 
is, uh, is and especially in his defensive play. I, I think uh, still he, he needs to, to, to do some some development there and in his own end zone and so on. But uh, and that, that when he does that, I think he, he and he grows a little bit. I think he, he can develop 50 percent more. So he will be became at least one of the best Swedish defensemen ever. In, in a couple of years' time. I, I'm certain about that. There's one other guy I want to ask you about, and, and one of the reasons why we bring up Ricard, as you know, there are a lot of Swedes here in the Sabres organization, whether it's with Buffalo or guys in Rochester like Victor Olofsson and Rasmus Asplund. There's a guy over there by the name of Marcus Davidson. Uh, is there anything you can tell us about you know, what his game is all about and how his career is going in Sweden? He's, uh, he's a good skater. and He's intense and, and uh, really skilled, but... Uh, uh, I think right now he's he's uh, he's injured and he's not able to play right now. So uh, no, it's his brother. Sorry, sorry. Uh, but they are two. They are two brothers. You know, Jonathan and Marcus uh, Davidson, and and they both the same style, uh, skilled players. Uh, looks looks a little bit like Rasmus Dahlin, mm. but but they are are, are playing uh, on the forward position instead. So. They, they are like typically Swedish skilled, you know, with, with good hands and good passing and good skating abilities. All right. Well, thanks, Tommy. Thanks. Thanks for coming on with us, first of all, and uh, thanks for sharing some information on Ricard. That's that's okay. It was fun to to be on your show. So, so keep keep up the good work. Will do. You Thank enjoy you. your day. There's Tommy Boosted on Howard and Jeremy this morning. We'll take a timeout now. Um, way away from the coach search a little bit back into the draft because um, I got a couple more thoughts on that and uh, I have the we have that poll up that I want to update how confident are you that the bills will make the playoffs in 2019 you can vote there at sneaky Joe WGR or you can call us up right now at 8030550 take a time out now it's the nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR Welcome back to the Nightcap. Joe DiBiase here on WGR. About a half hour left. Update the Twitter poll. At SneakyJoeWGR. How confident are you the Bills will be a playoff team in 2019? It's kind of a tough poll to read. I had to do it this way, didn't I? With the percentages. Leader in the clubhouse. 42% of you are between 50 and 75% confident that the Buffalo Bills will be a playoff team. 34% of you are between 25 and 50% confident that the Bills will be a playoff team. 13% of you are between 75 and 100% confident. And 11% of you are between 0 and 25%. The Debbie Downers. 11%. It's not that low. Like, they could very easily do it just based on their schedule. They could be the team they were from last year and luck, they, luck their way in. That's another way to think about it. They had a tough schedule last year. They had a bad roster on offense, and they won six games. Like, that's another optimistic way to look at it. Because right now, I mean, the team's better, at least on offense. Maybe the defense will regress a little bit, but the de- the offense is better. The team is going to be better roster-wise, and you got an easier schedule. Yeah, I'm starting to talk myself into it. I'm starting to talk my way all, uh, up past 50% maybe. You don't play a lot of good quarterbacks. Your roster's better. You won six last year with a tough schedule. I might get there. 
I might get to a playoff prediction before the start of the season. I mean, in the next couple weeks, who knows? Uh, one football guy that knows a lot, a lot, Chris Sims. Not a good quarterback in the NFL. But very good analyst, super good in-depth info, a lot of information, but super smart. Um, not too like deep, deep information, though. And here's Chris Sims with One Bills Live earlier today, if you missed that. A lot of good stuff on the Bills. Another, uh, another little interview here that could have you feeling optimistic. Pro Football Talk Live, former NFL quarterback, eight seasons in the league. Happy to have Chris Sims on the line. Chris, John Murphy, Steve Tasker here in Buffalo. Thank you very much for joining us. No, anytime, guys. What's going on? Glad to be on. Hope you two are uh, doing well. We're doing well, and we were impressed, I think, and encouraged by your rating of the draft. You had you gave the Bills a, a silver medal uh, for their draft uh, this past weekend. What did you see there? Yeah, well, I mean, really, uh, first off, I mean, I'm just uh, I'm a big fan of not, not only Sean McDermott, how he coaches the football team, the overall vision of the football team in general, Brandon Bean, some of the things that were done in free agency. I thought it was a phenomenal free agent period for the Buffalo Bills. And then the draft, I mean, hey, it starts off with the first pick. As you guys know, this is no shock, but Ed Oliver, certainly in the conversation for one of the three or four freakiest athletes and players in the draft this year, and a guy that I really think is going to thrive in the Sean McDermott defensive system. Uh, you got a lot of big people in the interior defensive line. Now you got an interior defensive lineman, Ed Oliver, who's very Aaron Donald-ish in his athletic movements. And he's a guy that can be a three-technique defensive tackle, and he can win that gap between a guard and a tackle, but also play defensive end and be you know, very athletic for that position as well. Love that, of course, and I don't think anybody's not going to love that. But Cody Ford in round two. Uh, Cody Ford, and again, not that I have every answer in the world, but one thing you can count on with me is I'm going to do my homework and study these guys and watch a lot of film. I thought Cody Ford was the best tackle in the draft. I really did. You know, maybe not as athletic as Dillard from Washington State uh, or maybe a Jawan Taylor or some of the other guys that were in the conversation for tackle, but the athleticism wasn't that less uh, than those guys. And what I liked more was the power and the ability to anchor versus the power rush, where I would look at some of those other guys and go, ooh, I don't like how they handled the power rush. And are they going to be able to handle the power rush when they got to play the Khalil Max of the world and the other good power rushers coming off the edge? So a huge fan of Cody Ford. And then a Devin Singletary, who's awesome in space, third down running back in a break ankles like LaShawn McCoy. Dawson Knox, a really good run-blocking tight end, tight end at an old Miss. And then Voshan Joseph in the fifth round. I don't mean to ramble here, but I would argue he was the third-best linebacker in the draft. And a guy that is going to be, I think, a major player, maybe not in year one, but year two, three for Buffalo, a guy that can stay on the field all three downs, really athletic middle linebacking, ball hawking type of guy. So I really thought Buffalo uh, killed it in the draft. Yeah, this Vashawn Joseph, as you said, and I think you're right. If he does, he is a little rough. He's a great athlete, no question. He can go sideline to sideline. He seems to me like one of those guys, perhaps in his first year, we we had the same thing happen with a, a draft pick a couple of years ago in Matt Milano, who was a fifth-round right. pick, who all of a sudden emerged and was just, you know, he just had a nose for the football and was in the right spot. And all of a sudden, he went from being an afterthought, maybe a role player on special teams, to evolving into this guy that is in the starting lineup. Is that kind of the, the track you think Vashawn Joseph is going to take? 
I think that's very a very similar track. Exactly right. Yeah, he's a little raw, a little wild. You know, in Florida, you know, SEC football, he just got to play middle linebacker, and they said, go get the football. He wasn't always, you know, gap integrity sound, didn't always, you know, take on lead blockers with the perfect shoulder. You know, hey, yeah, some of those things he's going to have to learn. And Sean McDermott, of course, will stay in his butt. But, yeah. I think that's a very similar route we're going to see, Steve, exactly. Like, probably special teams, probably get in in a few, you know, first and second downs here and there throughout the year, but grow as a player, learn the defensive system, and then by the time Matt Milano's going, hey, damn, I'm pretty good. I'd like to have be paid more money. They're going to go, okay, well, fine, you want more money. <laughs> well, we got another guy coming up the ranks here that we don't have to pay as much, so, you know, go on, Matt Milano, or whatever it may be. They'll have the ability to have decisions there. But I do think Boshan Joseph, at the end of the day, uh, maybe next year, is going to be in the conversation for a starting linebacking spot for, for the Buffalo Bills. Hey, Chris, the Bills are getting into their second year with Josh Allen. There are people who will tell you that uh, this year's draft was a lot about Josh Allen. You know, when you look at Cody Ford and the running back and, and the two tight ends later on, that they're still trying to build around Josh Allen. Do you see that? I do. I, do. I think that was, you know, the main focus of – you know, free agency, uh, and of course the draft. The draft, you know, getting a Cody Ford, who I think has a chance to be a franchise left tackle, you know, and then, yeah, you know, getting a blocking tight end. But what they did in free agency, too, with the slot receivers, uh, okay, you know, just whether that's uh, Cole Beasley or John Brown, that's going to be perfect. You know, in the Brian Dayball, New England offensive system, you know they're going to be good. You know, getting a Tyler Croft, getting a Mitch Morse, Ty Nasecki, a guy who I thought's a starting tackle in the NFL who's been a backup for the Washington Redskins for a few years. So I do think there was a concerted effort to give Josh Allen some help, not only with receivers, but pass protection. Because you guys saw it last year. There's, they're a special in that Josh Allen. I'm just a believer. I always have been. I see it in his play and his movements and the way he throws the football. Yeah, it's not perfect. But he can do a lot of things that a lot of other quarterbacks in football can't do, and I'd rather have that problem than vice versa. And I think they're on the right track with Josh Allen and this Buffalo offense altogether. Chris, we're on the line, by the way, with Chris Sims from NBC Sports. We've been asking Bills fans today about what remains as a need for the Bills after the draft. A lot of folks saying uh, receiver, and people point out that the Bills may not be able to point to a true X receiver, a number one, uh, at least a candidate for a number one receiving spot. Two questions. Do you agree with that? And part two, how important is that? What do you think? Well, it's always important to have that guy, you know, for a, for a quarterback that's, let's just say, a get-out-of-jail-free card, right? Like, oh, like let Rob Gronkowski for Tom Brady. When in doubt, everybody's covered. Let me throw it to his spot and let Rob Gronkowski just go up and use his great ability to catch the football. Yeah, I get that. There's no proven commodity as far as that's concerned on the Buffalo Bills roster right there. But, again, I, I think if I had to read between the lines here a little bit, I think Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean are going, you know what, some of these guys on the outside we think have a chance to kind of be something. You know, Robert Foster showed some promise last year. Zay Jones showed some promise last year. I think they can do some different things for the offense. And, you know, again, in the New England offense, it's not always about that. It's not always about, you know, one-on-one matchups, let's do those type of things. It's more about we like well-rounded receivers. Uh, yes, we'll take advantage of some of their strengths and, and not ask them to do some of their weaknesses. But the greatness of the offense is the system itself. 
and their ability to get people open over the middle and take advantage of some of those different skill sets that receivers have. So, yeah, I know there's no, you know, superstar A.J. Green on the outside that you just go, oh, okay, I love this. But I think Robert Foster will scare people with his ability to run deep. I think Zay Jones, good route runner, great body control. He can have that ability to kind of be that back shoulder, oh, gosh, I'm in trouble, let me throw the ball to him type of guy as well. Well, as the Bills picked at number nine in this year's draft, it, you know, some things had to fall right ahead of them to get Ed Oliver, who, and I agree with you, is one of the top talented uh, de- defensive linemen in this draft. But one of the things that happened, most notably what happened, was that the Giants took Daniel Jones. Should we, you know, for us here in Buffalo, it's no skin off our chin if a team in the other conference in a different division wants to draft a quarterback and get, get trouble for it. But do they need to cut uh, Dave Gettleman some slack for taking Donald J- uh, Daniel Jones? What do you think? Yeah, I do. I do think they need to cut him some slack. I almost feel guilty about this because I've been one of the number one people probably on TV as far as these talking heads and guys that got podcasts and all that. I've been saying that I did not think Daniel Jones was worth uh, a first-round pick. I really did not. I thought he was more of a, a second-round type quarterback. I just didn't see any elite physical traits that would make me think he's a number six pick. But at the same time, uh, I know that I don't know everything in the world. I also know these teams have a lot more information uh, at hand than I do. They get to meet these players and really get to know them. And where I'll stick up for the Giants and David Gettleman is if, if they believe Daniel Jones was their guy, then that's fine by me. And then they did right by what they believed and what their evaluation is. You don't wait. You know, if you think a guy's your franchise quarterback and he's the next guy for the next 10 years to be underneath the center for the New York Football Giants, then you do that. You take him at number six, and you don't roll the dice and hope he's there at 17 or at the top of the second round, whatever it may be. That's too risky. Now, where Gettleman's also got himself in trouble is when he says things like, I know for a fact there's two teams that wanted to draft him. Well, when you say things like, I know for a fact, everybody checks up on you and goes, well, I know some of these people that you say uh, you know for a fact. And then all of a sudden we hear the Denver Broncos weren't going to draft Daniel Jones and had a Drew Locke at number one. You know, so he didn't do him any self-favors there. He just needs to say something like, hey, you know, we were scared. There were some other teams that were interested in Daniel Jones. And I think that would have been the selling point, and that's all he had to say. Everybody is being a little too critical of Daniel Jones at number six. But I'll say this, Steve, there's been worse draft picks in the first round. I can name a whole lot of them. Blake Bortles at number three, I think, is an all-time horrible pick. You know, Christian Ponder at 10, I'd throw in there. Jake Locker at 11. Johnny Manziel, who I did not think was a first-round quarterback. All these, I would go, Daniel Jones has more of an upside than any of those guys, and it's not even close. There's things to like about Daniel Jones' game. I just didn't think he had the elite talent to be worthy of drafted at number six. Chris, I want to ask you about another pick that helped the Bills, actually. Uh, the Oakland Raiders, uh, fourth pick overall, the Clemson defensive lineman Clellan Farrell, who you point out wasn't even their, the best defensive lineman at Clemson, right? And he went uh, <laughs> before any of the rest of them. Yeah, that, that's a right. I mean, he was the third best defense alignment on the Clemson team and got to be the fourth pick of the draft. You know, you could you figure that out. Um, <laughs> again, you know, yes, Cleveland Farrell, I don't think in any shape, way, or form really deserved to be a top 15 pick by what you saw in film. And if you read, you know, and listen to some of the interviews Mike Mayock's done since the draft, I, I don't think they thought he was one of the top 13 or 15 players in the draft. You know, they were hoping somebody would trade up for them. He made a comment. He was hoping Miami would trade up to four, and then they would be able to maybe take a Clell and Farrell at 13, maybe more in line where his value started. Uh, but 
but again, where I'll stick up for the Raiders is I think they had three needs they wanted to address in that first round. And it was defense end. They wanted Josh Jacobs, as they said, and they had a crush on John, Jonathan Abrams out of Mississippi State. And I think to get all three of those positions, uh, they had a reach on pick number one. And I think what they did is they reached on a guy who, yeah, I don't think will ever be in the conversation for leading football and sacks. But I think he is the type of guy that is going to be – he has a very high floor. I don't think there's very much bust factor. And I think it's all the other things that he brings to the table. He is 100 miles per hour every play, pedal to the metal, great work ethic, great motor, and, of course, a really good football player. But, yeah, I think that pick was a little bit of a reach, and people aren't talking about it as much because of the guy we just talked about, Daniel Jones, at number six. But either way, I thought Mike Mayock, uh, like Brandon Bean, killed for a and killed the draft overall. What are you going to remember about the 2019 draft when uh, you know, three years down the road or four years down the road? What, what's going to be your impression that you look back on and say, oh, yeah, I remember that draft? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is right at the top, right? I mean, Kyler Murray, Josh Rosen, we've never seen that before. Just to start it out, we go, damn, there's a quarterback that, you know, was borderline 5'9". He just made 5'10". And he got drafted to a team who uh, picked another quarterback at number 10 in the draft the year before. So that certainly was a different set of circumstances that we've never seen. And then I think the other thing I would look at, you know, how did these defensive guys pan out? You know, it was so many great front seven guys drafted there in the top 15 picks of the draft, how they pan out. And then, you know, our first subject of the day, or second subject we talked about of the day, Daniel Jones. You know, that's, that's going to be one of the polarizing conversations of this draft is how good is he, was he worth it, and was he worth being the Eli Manning successor? Only time will tell. And I'm a Giants fan. So, again, I didn't love Daniel Jones as number six, but I'm rooting for him now, and I'm all in on it, and uh, I hope it works out. Chris, I got one more for you, not about the draft, but I read recently where you warned – Oakland Raiders quarterback Derek Carr, not to let John Gruden, quote, invade your brain. What did you mean by that? Well, yeah, that's exactly right, because he's good at invading your brain. You know, <laughs> that's what he is. You know, he pushes buttons. Uh, he can talk a little loosely with the media. He can talk about how he loves every other quarterback in the NFL except the guy that he's working with on a daily <laughs> basis. And, you know, if you're not careful, you'll start finding yourself obsessed and proving John Gruden wrong. You know, I found myself in meetings at times and at practices going, man, I'm going to teach this little effort a lesson and show him I'm the man <laughs> and I'm going to prove him wrong. And, oh, wait, what's the play, coach? Or, wait, what's my read? You know, so that's what I meant by that. You know, just stay focused on being a good football player, what you have to do as a player, do, you know, improve your craft. Don't always worry about, you know, the little Napoleon in the background yelling at you. That's what I like to call Gruden every now and then. Right. <laughs> you made very plain what that means. Exactly. Hey, Chris, we admire your work. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us here today. We appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys. Be good. Have a good day. There's Chris Sims. Always a great listen. That was the first time I think I've heard him on our station. I'm not sure if he has been on our station before. Um, I think he has. But on other – on his podcast, mostly. Lefko, the Lefko podcast with him and Sims. Um or with Lefko and Sims. Always good stuff from him. All right, we'll come back and wrap things up. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi. Last call is next, 803 is the phone number here on WGR. You know, after two games, we have a pretty good idea of how each other wants to play. And, uh, you know, now it's just about who can consistently do it for, for more time over the next uh, five games or whatever it takes. There's Pete DeBoer, the head coach of the San Jose Sharks. Sharks and Avalanche about an hour away. 
It's a good series, just because Nathan McKinnon's in it. Dude is a beast. Second best player in the league, in my opinion. After McDavid. Super good. Um, that series not at one apiece. Colorado, surprising people. Columbus up 2-1 to one on the Bruins. Going into the third period. Puck just squeakly. When I mean razor thin, it just went in for the Bruins. So they uh, are only down one now. And NBA going on tonight as well. Some good NBA games around. The Rockets-Warrior stuff is just so lame. Like, that series was supposed to be the best in the league. It's kind of frustrating when the two best teams in the sport are always whining every play. And I'm one that usually doesn't mind that stuff. Like, when the referees make mistakes, have at it. I don't really usually get on. I don't really care too much about that. But the frequency in which it's happening is just out. It's insane. The entire game, game one, Rockets and Warriors, it was the entire game. Someone was always mad at something. And, man, that's, 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 it's not good entertainment value, especially in basketball when, like, the Rockets really. For all the credit they get for being analytical, which they should, and for being like this modern like shooter team, which I know, doesn't that all sound like, hey, they're fun and exciting to watch? Analytical. They shoot the ball. They're fast. They're not at all. Like the entertainment value for the Houston Rockets. Like that's not what that sport needs. It is James Harden playing ISO ball, trying to draw fouls. That is their style of play. Every ten seconds the the game is stopping. For free throws. And free throws suck. So I'm not a fan of that series after one game. I'm hoping that it doesn't continue that way. Like Nuggets, Blazers, it's not going to be as impactful because one of those teams is almost for sure not going to win the title. But that series, game one last night was fun. Offensive, just scoring. Up and down. Beautiful. Get me there. The Eastern Conference series have been good too. NBA playoffs have been good. Even the the first round series where there's almost no competitiveness, like the teams we thought would win still won, but there were upsets. At least one or two. The fact that the Warriors took six games against the Clippers when 80% of sports fans probably couldn't name a Clipper player is pretty good. The Magic won a game over the Raptors. The Nets made it interesting with Brooke, with uh, with Philly. So the NBA playoffs has had an up year. It's been better this year. Still not quite what the NHL playoffs have been. Because obviously you see what happened the first round there. Any any parody the NBA thought, thought they were getting this year, the NHL told them to hold my beer. Because they just went out and... I'm in a bracket pool with a bunch of buddies. I think there's 12 or 13 of us. And every single one of us lost our Stanley Cup champ in the first round. I think half had the Lightning... And then a couple people had the Flames, a, one person had the Predators, one person had the Leafs, all gone. Just a complete crapshoot in the NHL. Dallas could win the Cup. Carolina could win the Cup. Columbus, Colorado, no one would have predicted any of these teams would have won the Stanley Cup before the season. And some one of them is going to do it. Maybe Boston will be the team that uh, people would expect to be in it that wins, but... Pass to them. I'm hoping that they're about to be down 2-1 maybe in this series if they don't uh, come back in period three. Hoping they don't. Columbus is a great story. Totally respect what they did the deadline, and that's the team I'm rooting for right now. Cam Atkinson, baby. All the way. All right. 
that's it for me tonight. NASCAR Live coming up next, so race fans, stay tuned. I'll be back for a full show tomorrow night. We'll continue to talk Coach Watch, Dave Tippett on the radar now. Ricard Gronberg, Jacques Martin still on the radar. Sheldon Keith may be a more realistic idea today as well after the Elliott Freeman stuff. If you didn't see that, check it out on our uh, Twitter page at WGR550. That's it for me. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a good night. Later. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.